This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning, one and all. Uh, here in Toronto, uh, as I'm gazing out from the Zoomerplex toward uh, Liberty uh, Street, it's pretty cloudy out there. I wonder if uh, there's any sunshine showing up in Prince Edward County. Hey, Charlie, what are you doing? I think I'm looking at the same same sky you're looking at, Frankie. Okay. It's uh, pretty overcast, and we do have about a 30% chance of snow today, and then it's up to about a 70% chance overnight. So has, it, that's has, it been good. As, has it been really as cold there as it has been uh, here? Minus 16 right now. Oh, all righty. Uh, <laughs> let me get the phone numbers on the air because I'm, bl- okay. I'm glancing at our monitor. No calls yet. But let's fix that. In Toronto, if you want to get a hold of Charlie Dobbin to ask a question about gardening, whatever, 416-360-0740. Then anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. Please uh, remember our little mantra, call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, let Carlos, our operator, know. He'll pass that along to me, and I'll reach for the bell. And you'll hear that before you hit the airwaves. Okay. Hey, we've got a number of things we want to cover off in this little section. We, uh, uh, we do. chat we do. chat up you... uh, the first start of the I, I'd asked you, hey, when the heck is that backyard bird count coming up? Uh, a good memory, too, Frankie. Um, the, it's called the Great Backyard Bird Count. It's brought to you by to all of the world. It's an international event. Uh, so Birds of Canada sponsors it here. And, of course, the Cornell Lab, which is a bird lab, and the Audubon Society is all part of it. And it's this weekend. Wow. So it's a four-day event. Uh, started yesterday, the 12th, uh-huh. and runs through until Monday. And like I said, it's all over the world. And it's very cool. For anybody who's on their computers right now or has access to the Internet, it's so it's just a website, birdcount, one word, birdcount.org. And if you go to that website, you will see what's going on because, of course, people see birds. So what it is is it's a 10-minute window. You go for a walk. You can sit outside. You can even just look out the window. But it's 10 minutes. What uh, varieties of birds do you see and how many of them do you see? And then you send that information in, and the, the sightings are the data is all collected for this four days. And right now it's showing sightings in the last 24 hours right on their website because people send their information in. And you can do it multi-times. You can do, you know, do it 10 times a day if you want for the next four days or just do it once. Uh, of course, keep in mind COVID protocols. So if you're out, if you're out there with fellow birders, make sure you've got your, your a mask in place and social distancing is all part of being together. But it's a very wonderful, safe 
uh, activity for the entire family uh, for anybody to do over the next few days. So get out there and count some birds. Okay. Uh, and, oh, I, I want to mention this. We had a nice note from Maureen Boyce. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, Dear Charlie, am I ever glad I took your advice about ordering the Stokes Seeds catalog? I was very down, and, and it had been a rough winter, and that catalog cheered me right up. Love the tips, the recipes, the colored pictures of flowers and vegetables. And she says, now I'm dreaming about spring and gardening. Thanks for that little note, uh, Maureen. And that's a darn good bit of advice that uh, folks would be wise to kind of accept, huh? Yeah. And, and then Maureen followed up that email with another little email and said, you know what else I love about this catalog? The paper order form. Imagine. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can order by paper and mail in your order, uh, or you can order on the web for stokesseeds.com. Actually, it's stokesseeds.com is the website. Okie dokie. Uh, and of course, uh, can't forget that tomorrow, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. What do you got planned? Uh, I'm not telling. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, romantic guy. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, what else? Oh, I, I wanted to mention, uh, we we're talking about birds. So two days ago, and it was really bitterly cold at that point, too, uh, we've got this lovely pond, this, as you know, a very, very yeah, large big. pond uh, on the property. And uh, I looked out uh, about 8 o'clock in the morning. Here are four white swans sitting out in the middle of this 33-acre pond on the snow, waiting patiently for spring. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <It's a melt. laughs> exactly. Aw. That's crazy. Yeah, they're probably uh, scoping out where they want to build their nest. Right. Yeah. All right. Because they start that pretty soon. That's... The swans, we had very, very intricate nests. It took them a long time to build it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. And you notice I'm looking at the clock, and we better move along here. We're getting the lines filled up on the phone lines. I know we've got Good. a number of emails to to deal with as well. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, and we'll fit in a little note maybe along the way about the orchid. Um... Uh, not much to say there. It's been, the Orchid Society had to cancel their annual oh. Valentine's Day event. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. enough said. We're going to be back in just a couple of moments. Charlie Dobbin and yours truly, Frank Proctor. Thank you so much for tuning our way here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we're off to Pickering right off the bat here and uh, say hi and good morning to Bill. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks very much for taking my call. It's, it's a kind of a gray morning, but we're getting along here. Good for you. Good. Um, I've got a question about basil or basil, mm-hmm. and it's kind of curly leafed one. I think we had it in a uh, kitchen window, a west window, which is one of those kind of little bay windows. Mm-hmm. But we keep our house fairly cool in the winter, and then save oil and all that, or save whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's around uh, 19 degrees. So in the window, it was dropping down to 16 and stuff, and I didn't look too happy. Mm-hmm. So I moved them over to the kitchen island on a very, very bright wind, uh, bright kitchen. We've got windows mm-hmm. almost all the way around. So they seem happier. Mm-hmm. My little thermometer at the bottom says it's about 20 in there most of the time now. And But I have lights downstairs where I'm growing geraniums, which we've talked about. I'm wondering if I should move them down under the lights, and the lights are on about 12 hours a day. Hmm. Uh, well, with your new location, are you seeing new growth on the, the basil plant uh, on the island? Um, oh, yeah, this is not, not kind of bad. Yes. 
Yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah, they're better than they were. They were getting black around the edges on the yeah. cold window. And I think you're exactly right. It was the temperature that was causing that. So, um, I, you know what? I, Off the top of my head, I'd say it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other, whether it's the bright island where it's warmer or it's under the lights where, you know, you've got your 12 hours of, of light and I assume a, a reasonably warm temperature in the basement as yes, well. It's similar to upstairs. It's uh, closer to the furnace room and it's uh, generally 20 down there. Yeah. So either one, I mean, you, you might, I guess I was saying you might forget them downstairs, but maybe you wouldn't because you're looking after the geraniums down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like to keep my herbs close to the kitchen just because I'm more spontaneous to use them when they're right there. Uh, you know, nip off. See, too, with basil, you want to nip the tip, right? The growing tips to make yes, them branch. About, I guess uh, eight inches high. Right. So at any high. time, take that little top. Um, the top leaves and the top little bud, just with your thumbnail and your finger, uh, rip that up, throw that in with your eggs for breakfast, and then uh, you'll see side branching. So it's nice to don't let the basil grow as a single stem little tree. Encourage it to be bushier and, and more, uh, it'll be more dense and obviously give you more leaves if you do yes, that. Yes, they have about five, uh, four or five stalks each from the, just above the surface of the ground. Oh, no, no leaves on them until you get up to the, towards the top, though. Right. Well, they, they've lost their lower leaves just again because it's you know the days are getting longer. We're we're almost <coughs> we're almost at twelve hours uh, in in our world of light and dark. So um, I, yeah, I, I'd say either one. And it was a good idea to get him out of the window because Basil does not like the cold. No, it didn't seem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm cold. Good to hear. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, thanks a lot, Bill. Okay, um, thanks, guys. Okay, Bye-bye. have a great day, and thank you for joining us here on Zoomer Radio. Um, you know, boy, did you ever receive a whack of emails? <laughs> I, uh, I like when you say that. A whack. Yeah. A whack uh, of emails. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pick up one that's uh, been in our bin here for maybe a week or more, but it's from Linda Moore. Gardenia, the subject. She says, uh, last spring I bought a large gardenia plant in the pot for my yard. It, uh, I purchased it because of its healthy, shiny leaves and because it had five or six buds and a lot of new growth. Really didn't do much all summer. The buds emerged, but only one at a time. Flowers were smaller than I expected, although they had a beautiful scent. Because the plant was so yar- large, I couldn't move uh, because of the weight of the pot. I just left it there in the planter in my yard. Plan was to dig it up, replace it in the spring. However, it hasn't dropped any leaves. Still looks much the same as when I bought it. It has a bit of snow on it now. looks a bit wilted, but I keep expecting it to either turn brown or drop its leaves, but it doesn't. My question is, is it... She'd send you a picture, obviously. Is it an evergreen? Why is it not reacting to the weather? Well, there you go from Linda Moore. Well, good question. You know what it is? It's just frozen solid. (laughs) (laughs) It will. Um, it, it is dead. Don't. It's not gonna. It's not gonna turn green. As soon as it starts to thaw a bit, all those leaves will just fall off. Kind of like kale. If anybody's got oh, ornamental yeah. cabbage or kale in their garden, it, it looks reasonably perky right now. But as soon as we start a thaw, it'll all just turn to mush. And that's the same with the gardenia. That is a tender tropical plant that does not survive our winters outside. Okay, good enough. Uh, we're going to go back to our phone lines in just a moment and uh, say hi to Lorraine calling in from a beautiful uh, Bob Cajun area. So you stay in by for that. And uh, we're back shortly here. Charlie Dobbin and yours truly, Frank, here on a Saturday morning on Zoomer Radio. 
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Boy, several months from now, a lot of folks are going to be heading up to cottage country in that area around Bob Cajun. That's where Lorraine is located and calling us now here in The Garden Show. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Excellent. Good. Um, I know it's a bit early, but I, I have this honeysuckle vine that I've had for over two years. I get beautiful foliage on it, and it really grows well, but I haven't yet to have a flower. Oh, that's weird. Is it getting any sunshine? It's in the south side of the house. It gets sun all day long. And it's on a trellis, but it's in a... On the side of the trellis are planter boxes, and it sits inside the planter box, but... Okay, so it is potted into the planter box, but the plant, planter box is on the ground, basically, yes. at ground level. Mm-hmm. Huh, no flowers. Um, so tell me about your soil. Have you, did you do any amending to the soil when you planted it two years ago? Well, I probably put new soil in there when I did it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I did the new plant, I would put new soil in, yes. And, and I do uh, fertilize it. Okay. Um, any idea what kind of fertilizer you might have used? Um, it could be, um, I'm not, I don't think it's Miracle Miracle Grow. It's one I bought from the nursery and I'm not sure what it is. Okay. Cause I'm just wondering if maybe, uh, it's a fertilizer with too much nitrogen. So you know how fertilizers have three numbers on the package? Yes. Uh, you know, it could be 10, 10, 10. It could be, you know. 50, you know, 52, 24, 38 kind of numbers, but there's always those three numbers. And the first number is nitrogen. And nitrogen really encourages green growth. So we get lots of leaves on our plants. Uh, we use high nitrogen fertilizer on our lawns because, of course, we want lots of green growth on our lawns. I'm wondering if maybe the fertilizer you're using is not really designed for flowering plants, but is more of an all-purpose fertilizer, and so what I would do is I'd, I'd use a fertilizer that actually says for flowering plants, and it'll typically have the middle number twice as high as the first number. So it might be 15, 30, 15 as an example, and that will encourage flowers as opposed to, you know, lots and lots of leaves. I can only think it's probably something nutritional because if the plant is looking good and growing well and sounds like it's, a, it's in a good spot, it might just be strictly a nutrient issue. Okay. Do I trim this back every spring? Uh, well, remember, if you take the tips off of a vine, because a vine grows long tendrils, like long, long stems from the base. So just taking the tips off, just, you know, an inch off of every tip will, again, cause that plant to be a bushier plant. It'll send out side shoots, so it'll be a, a more dense column growing up the, the trellis, which I think most people like, rather than just having one or two or three sort of tendrils to, to work with. Right. And, and of course, you need to make sure it does hold. It doesn't, honeysuckle wines don't really hold on by themselves. You usually have to kind of guide them through the, um, the, the trellis or use uh, some kind of a tie to tie them up and keep them up off the ground. But they're lovely, lovely, fragrant flowers when they come out. And typically, the hummingbirds love them as well. So you know you that's why I planted it, and yet I haven't yeah, had a flower. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, so that's what you need. You need to encourage flowers. Now, remember, do your trimming early in the season and then no trimming after that because you don't want to err on the side of trimming off where the flowers are coming. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I get so many vines that I do seem to trim them back. Ah, there you go. You might be cutting off the flowers doing that. 
Okay. So yeah, so so cut it in the spring so you don't have to cut it again. And, and you know, and it, yeah, if it's really unwieldy, then cut harder, cut down lower. Don't be afraid because you are the boss, right? Okay. You you're in charge of that plant. That plant is not in charge of you. Hey, thank you so much. I'll give that a try this spring. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Lorraine, and have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in. I have a note here from Jean DeVries, who actually writes in on behalf of not only herself, but her mom, who listens in from Mississauga. Jean is in Orangeville. She says, um, hi, Charlie. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I've listened to your show for years, so I hope you hear that a lot, and we love it, she says. Anyway, I've attached some photos of two plants my mom has in her living room. Now, they were part of a, a funeral arrangement for my brother who passed away in 2015, so I'm sure she's particularly wanting them to survive. And just the last few months, these yellow spots appeared on the leaves. Mom told me the arrangement was repotted about a year ago, so I'm wondering if perhaps there's a vitamin soil deficiency happening here. You can see from the photos that she sent you there, two different plants uh, in the same pot. They both had the yellow spots. We didn't think it was a fungus as the spots are so smooth, but we can't understand why the spots appeared on both plants. Um, anyway, mom has a pot close to her living room window, window with a western exposure. Not the brightest location away from the window, but the plant appears to be growing regardless. Any thoughts? Okay, this I love this. This is a great email, and of course, as you as you mentioned, Jean sent not only the email but she sent some photographs as well mm. to show me what was going on. It turns out she this gift planter that her mom originally received obviously had a number of plants in it, and then you know these gift planters always get overgrown at some point, so you have to pull all the plants out and then give them their own pots. So two of the plants that she's referring to are both the genus is called Croton, so C R O. T-O-N. They don't look like the same plant because one has long, narrow leaves. The other one has more oval leaves, uh, more traditional leaves. But they are both crotons. They're just different cultivars. And I, I guess what's happened is where they had it originally, this plant was quite green. And where it was originally, the light levels were quite low. And that's why it, it, they were just green plants. Now, with this repotting and moving into towards the western window, a little more light we are getting the traditional beautiful coloration on the crotons. So speckles of yellow are, are very absolutely normal. There's no disease, no infestation going on. The plant is showcasing what it can, how pretty it can be, uh, given that it's getting a little more light. So the long, narrow leaves, I believe that cultivar is called gold finger, which is why, you know, they're long, narrow leaves and they get the gold blotches on them, so-called gold finger. And then the other one, I'm not so positive what the actual cultivar might be. But yeah, don't worry about it. She's doing fine. The more light you give them, the more color you're going to get. Uh, keep watering. It looks like they've been looking after them in terms of water. The one thing that Croton can get is spider mites in the dead of winter. So watch carefully for any evidence of webbing. Mist with a mister, uh, consider a pebble tray from below just to keep the humidity high around those plants and, and be happy. There's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> okay, that's good. Oh, and Gina has a little note here. says, how are we able to hear your response if we, quote, mm-hmm. miss the moment on the radio? Well, that's where the podcasts come mm-hmm. into it, right? Absolutely. Just go to Anytime, Zoom. Anytime, day ahead. or night. Yeah, you explain how that works. Yeah, so a podcast is, is basically a recording of the show. Um, and you need a computer uh, or you need access to the Internet. You can use your phone. You can uh, any way that you can get onto the Internet 
And it's just going to the Zoomer website. And from that point, uh, looking at hosts and you, or shows or podcasts, there's multi-choices across the top, which tab you want to choose. <clears throat> many, of our, many of the shows all over the AM740 are podcasts. The Garden Show is definitely one of them. And uh, you just click and pick a date. There's, they're all there. 13 and a half years worth of podcasts are all there in the archives. So you've got lots of good listening and, and, and a great opportunity to listen back. If I talk too fast or you miss something, uh, just remember, you can always go backwards. Excellent. Thank you, Charlie. All righty, off to Georgetown we go. And there's Norm Hiya. Norm, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. How's Charlie Hi. this morning? I'm excellent. How are you? Very good. I've got six orchids blooming in the front window here. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> some of them are three or four years old. But all of, I've got a great number of the air roots that are drying up, and I had, have no idea what I'm doing. Is there an age limit to orchids? No, no, not at all. No, you can keep those for years and years and years. So if those um, aerial roots, the roots that are above ground, yeah. are looking kind of wizened, then it means you're not watering enough or okay. your, hum- your humidity is not high enough. Uh, I find, I tell you, nothing makes an orchid purr more than getting a pail of water, letting it sit out overnight to bring it to room temperature, put a little orchid fertilizer into that pail of water, not much, you know, just as per the directions on the orchid fertilizer package, and then dunking the pot of orchids right into the pail, uh, holding the pot down until all the air bubbles have risen to the surface and the plant is thoroughly saturated. And then I carefully lift it up out of the pail, let it sit in the sink for a couple of minutes while it drains out lots of extra moisture and then back into its, its regular location. And they literally purr. They are so happy with that. <laughs> That's a great description. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I've not been doing anything any different to what I have normally. Uh, just this year, uh, they, as I say, the errors have tried out. But I'll, I'll try that. I'll dump them in a pail and see what happens. Well, and, and Norm, it could be if you've had them for a number of years, they're probably in the same pots from when you That's got right. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, they are perhaps getting to the point of pot bound. So that's one of the reasons. I mean, like, we, if you're doing everything the same as you always did, recognize the plants are bigger, they have more roots, they have higher needs for water and nutrients as they get bigger. So it might be one of those things where you need to think, not necessarily now, but in the next month or six weeks, about providing slightly bigger pots for these plants with okay. the proper media, not regular potting soil, of course. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank You're you very welcome. Calling. Thanks for calling. Okay, Norm. Uh, we have another email to deal with here. Eileen, pardon, yeah, Eileen Ackerman <laughs> says, Hi, Charlie. Love your very informative show. Help, please. I'm keeping this Sarissa. Is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Good question. I have never heard of Sarissa, so carry on. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I keep this Sarissa in the south-facing room under grow light for 12 hours daily, keeping soil moist and started uh, spraying every morning. Can't seem to stop the leaves from turning black at the tips and progressing up the leaf, getting lots of new growth with black tips. Any help you can be on this? Right. So thanks for your email, Eileen. Um Good question. I, honestly, I have never heard of Sarissa. So when I and when I go to my books, it doesn't jump out at me at all. I go to the web, and there's a lot of talk about Sarissa as a as a plant 
for bonsai. So bonsai plants, the ones we choose to bonsai, bonsai being a, a dwarfing method of growing plants, uh, typically the plants we choose for bonsaiing are um, small leaves, uh, dense growth, um, you know, pretty tough plants, generally speaking. Um, but this p- picture doesn't look at all like the pictures on the web. So I guess I'm a bit confused. But right away, black leaves, just like our first caller, Bill, when he mentioned that his basil in the window, the tips of the leaves are turning black. Usually when we see black on leaves in the middle of winter, it's got to do with temperature. So I'm wondering, Eileen, if, if perhaps this uh, tropical plant uh, that you refer to as sarissa is in too low of a temperature. So it could be that. Also, be aware of watering. Uh, when we see black, we suspect fungus. And when we think, why would there be a fungal disease on my plant? It can be from too much water. Rarely do we see black from too little water. We'll see yellow leaves from too little water, but not usually black. So, And, of course, look closely. For, for all I know, there could be some kind of an infestation, though, again, Insects don't generally cause leaves to turn black, but you know, look closely, trim out dead stuff, give it a give it a good, um, you know, sort of one of those again, you can thorough kind of a watering. We're at the the time now, middle of February. Let's crank out our fertilizer that we haven't used since last summer, and mix some of that up. And when it's time to water our plants, let's start using some fertilizer to encourage new growth. But be aware of the temperatures. Keep plants away from the windows. That, that are just not going to be able to handle low temperatures because it's always colder by the glass. You know, even a poinsettia is not happy right near the glass. They, they will do the same thing. You'll see blackening on their, their tips of their leaves and, uh, and the leaves will drop from low temperatures. So that is what I think. Okie dokie. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. Have to have uh, some words from our sponsors, bless their hearts. And we'll come back to say hi to Joanne in Midland calling into the garden show here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, and we have Joanne online from Midland. Good morning, Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Morning. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not, I'm, I'm me. Where's Joanne? Morning, Joanne. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Oh, are you there? Okay, Joanne, go ahead. Hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, I have a real lemon plant that mm-hmm. our kids gave us last fall, mm-hmm. and um, it's in a south window, mm-hmm. but um, the leaves are falling off it, but it has one shoot of growth on the, the, the far side towards the window, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if we're watering it too much. Um, we... How far down do you have to go to determine if it needs watering? How big is the pot, roughly? Uh, about 8 inches or 10 inches, maybe. Right, so it's a good-sized pot. Okay, so a couple things. What I would do, Joanne, is I would go to my local you know, home hardware, Canadian Tire or Garden Center, and buy what is called a moisture meter. 
the moisture okay. meter is a probe. It is about six to eight inches long. It's got a little dial uh, or a little gauge at the top. And what you do is you push that probe into the soil right down as far as you can, and it will tell you what the moisture levels are like well below the surface because we can really only feel the surface or feel just below the surface with our fingers. So right. that, is, that is a great tool when you have larger plants, plants that are just too big to, to pick up and, and feel the weight. Yeah. I often do that by weight. I figure out whether plants need water just by oh, how heavy, oh. heavy they are. Uh, the other thing is do turn that plant, make sure that it's getting light. So every, even yeah. if it's every Sunday, turn it 180 degrees so that you're balancing okay. the light. Uh, they do very naturally drop lemon trees, tropical, um, any of the tropical um, citrus plants. They will drop some of their older leaves at this time of year, but you should see new growth on the tips. So you, it should not be dropping its yeah. green tips, but it should very naturally and normally drop some of its older leaves in the oh. center of the plants. Okay. Okay. What about fertilizing now? Yeah. When do we start that? It's time. Where days are getting longer, the plants know it. So yes, indeed, start fertil put in regular fertilizing about every two weeks, not more than that, uh, with a flowering okay. plant fertilizer when you're okay. watering, and uh, and right. that will encourage more growth as well. Okay, thank you very much, okay, uh, thank Joanne. Thank you very much. All right, take care of things in Midland for us there. Uh, back to a. Um, <laughs> kind of a fun email here. I'll get to that in a moment here. Evelyn Gray writes, I have continuously bloomed my hibiscus and geraniums in my living room window since last summer. Am I going to pay this coming summer? The Can these plants continue to bloom throughout the year, or must they go dormant at some point? Did you want to read the P.S. now? Yeah, well, yeah, okay, sure. I was going to wait till uh, after to do that, but she says... Uh, Frank, P.S., I thought that your special socks featured on today's webcast were really cute, which prompted me to put on some other different socks. Uh, let's These are see my beer socks. You can, can you see them there? Well, I will. I, it's, there's a bit of a delay uh, on my, my feed. Oh, so okay. um, if you just hold them up and then put them down, uh, uh, I'm going to see them in a minute here. Yeah. You're going to stick your leg up. It's, oh, there you go. Beer, You're beer, starting uh, to... Steins, as it were. There we go. <laughs> well, I hope you there. enjoyed that, uh, uh, Evelyn. Meantime, yeah. okay. uh, back to the question. What do you right. think there? Well, so the, good question. And no, do not worry, Evelyn. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing your socks. Holy beer steins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are great. Good stuff, Frankie. Um, so, no, don't worry about it. Geraniums, hibiscus, good examples of flowering perennial plants. Uh, and so what I would be aware of, though, is if they're flowering in the window and you leave them all through the spring flowering beautifully and then summer comes and you take them outside, at some point, particularly the hibiscus is going to get too big and you're going to want to cut it back, and then you're going to go, you know, how do I cut it back without cutting all the flowers off? So what I would do is I know you're going to hate doing this, uh, but, it, Evelyn, it's just something you got to do in the spring now or in the next month or so. Get out your pruners and cut those plants back, even if it means cutting off flowers, because they will flower more once they start to grow again. But you've got to, you've got to shape the plants, and pruning is about shaping, um, helping them to be a balanced plant, good you know, dense, uh, you know, full growth, if you will, no straggly shoots 
sending off in all kinds of directions. And of course, maybe these geraniums, the plan is to take cuttings anyway. So this, we're getting to that time of year, you could be cutting down your geraniums and starting cuttings from the pieces that you cut down. So depending on what your plan is for those, but for sure, get out those pruners and get that hibiscus cut down sometime in the next month or so. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, we can go to a phone line here right now from Cambridge. Lorraine on the line. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning. Um, I have first a comment, not to turn the pro- program into a bird place, but um, <laughs> three days ago I saw a pileated woodpecker in my uh-huh. sister's uh, big old maple tree, and it, it, that's the first time I've seen a pileated woodpecker for... Oh, 30 years. Yeah. It's a big one. It's about 18 inches long. Wow. Yeah, she'd heard it for years, but never seen it. Anyway, um, my question is about, I've had a sassafras t- tree come up, and I rather like the name, and I rather like the, the look of the leaves. Mm-hmm. So I kept it, and I trimmed it, and a couple of times, uh, a couple of times I've trimmed it, the, where I trimmed, there's blackening of the of the um, bark, and it oh. and it doesn't fill in like other trees would have have done when you know when I take a branch off. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? No. Why that would happen? Wow. Okay. Uh. Hmm. So, and you're sure it's sassafras, you can know by the leaves because they're very distinctive leaves. Right? Yes, different kinds of leaves, like an elm and or like a mitten. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. They oh, look like little mittens. They're so cute. Uh, they're they're great tree, and of course they are native. They're they're native yeah, tree. That's they're... why I like it. Yeah, it's like and... so some bird obviously flew over and dropped a seed, yeah. which is why it came up. And we're then... in the area, <coughs> the edge of this Carolinian area. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. So um, so how big is it now, roughly? Um, up to. The top of the roof of the house next door, oh. which is the bungalow. Wow! So, and how many years has it been there? Do you know? About three or four. Wow, that's fast. Um, all right. Uh, hopefully, it's not too close to the house because I keep it. That's where I have found this problem. Because mm. it it gets big. Eh? It's roughly fifty feet tall and 50, thirty feet wide, and it's once it's mature. Yes. Uh, so yeah, be aware of that. So when you've pruned. It just it doesn't heal. It just turns black. Is it soft? Is it oozing? Is there anything it's like that? It's not soft or oozing. It's just dry. Huh. Uh, I wouldn't be particularly worried. I mean, normally, as you know, when we trim, well, so okay. So when we trim off any branches on a tree uh, or shrub, there's something that we call a branch collar, and the branch yes. collar is is a kind of a thickening point, yes, and you always want to trim just outside the branch collar. You don't want to do any damage to it. So we, it ends up leaving a very tiny little stump, very tiny usually, where we've removed a branch or uh, off of any of, a, any of the woody plants. Um, so, yeah, if we, and if you trim at the right spot, nice clean tools, never trim when it's raining or super humid, always dry, dry weather, dry day is the time to prune. Uh, it, the healing should take place from the branch collar, just like we scab over trees, basically do the same thing. Um, and so if it's not doing that, you're not actually seeing any growth to heal or, or put that wound into a better situation and it just kind of dries up. I mean, it's good. Dry is good. 
I'll keep an eye on it. I, yeah, I find that unusual as well, that it would, maybe if you can, take a picture and email me a picture of what this looks like, because I'd be interested. Uh, it's, um, it, I, I know no reason why it would do that. All right, well, thank you. Okay, okay and you're uh, very welcome. By the way, Charlie's uh, email address goes this way, C dot. Dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. And we have to take another little break, our final break in the show, and then we're going to come back and say hi to Pat, who's calling in from Mississauga to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, as promised, let's go to uh, Mississauga, check in with Pat, see what's going on there. Good morning, Pat. Morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Uh, I am calling about an amaryllis plant. I hope you're not sick about, about, <laughs> about amaryllis. However, I have one that's about four years old, and it has bloomed every year beautifully. I put it outside all summer, bring it in in the dark for six, eight weeks, and then I bring it out, and before I know it, two weeks later, two weeks later, there's yeah. beautiful blooms on it, and I so enjoy this plant, mm-hmm. and I was really looking forward to it this year because of all the terrible year we've had. Mm-hmm. However, it, I've got leaves, green, healthy leaves. I did not get a flower. Does that is that an indication that probably the bulb, it, it won't uh, flower again? Oh, it won't. Doesn't sound like it'll flower again this season, but there's nothing stopping it from flowering next winter. Okay. Yeah, sometimes that happens. It, um, sometimes we take them out of the dark too early. One thing I learned and really saw this year with my amaryllis, when they were in the dark, in the basement, being ignored, you know, no water, no nothing, uh, I just happened to go into the room where they are and, of course, turn the light on to go into the room and saw the flower <clears throat> buds. Picking, like they were growing in the dark. They were waking up and starting to shoot those flowers up because they knew it was time to, to get going. So as soon as I saw that, I immediately brought them the ones where the flower was showing upstairs into the light and watered them, of course, and sure enough, they flowered shortly thereafter. So it might just be that it wasn't in the dark long enough. Huh, okay. I, 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 it was at least six or seven weeks, but however... Yeah, go more for eight or ten weeks. Okay. But, but do what you've always done. Keep it growing as a green plant. Get it outside for the summer. You know, all that is perfect. And then into the, the cold, not cold, but the dark yeah. and the dry uh, at the end of the summer. And, yeah, just mark it on your calendar so it's at least, you know, eight to ten weeks. Before. And just keep an eye on it. You never know. The flower might just start popping out on you in okay. that dark spot. All right? Great. I, I won't send it to heaven to the no, garden heaven. I no. threatened it, but I won't. <laughs> I love your, love your show. Thank, thank you very you. much. All right, thank you. And by the way, uh, we had a, an email from Leslie Morgan who was asking basically the same question. So, yeah, I hope you were tuned in there, Leslie. Meantime, uh, we have another email here from Lucia de Favier. Uh, I messed up the name, I'm sure. De Favori. Uh, in any case, uh, is tanglewood effective for tent caterpillars that attack coniferous trees? Uh, is there not, if not, is there something else I can try? Uh, and uh, Lucia lives in Sudbury. Right. And they get into stations quite regularly every summer. Right. Now, she <clears throat> talks about... Uh, coniferous trees, which is interesting because there's no question northern Ontario has had a huge problem with 
tent caterpillars ever since 2016. <clears throat> so this year, of course, we know that insects do, um, populations are very much connected through cycles. So about every 10 or 12 years, there's an outbreak of tent caterpillars for about three to six years. So there should be a lot fewer tent caterpillars this year, Lucia, in your neighborhood. Um, and the other thing is you talked about it being in coniferous trees. And, of course, tent caterpillars are famous for eating and defoliating hardwoods. So in northern Ontario, the tent caterpillar prefers aspen, poplar, birch, uh, so deciduous trees rather than coniferous trees. What should you do? Well, tanglefoot is very effective when we are concerned that uh, insects are going to crawl up the trunks of trees to go and eat the leaves. The problem with tent caterpillars is the, the eggs are laid on the twigs and branches of the trees, and the eggs are there right now, <clears throat> and those eggs will hatch in the spring, and the little larvae will be right close to where the leaves are emerging at the same time. So they don't, tent caterpillars, they may do some climbing up and down the bark, uh, the trunks of the trees, but not the way gypsy moths do, as an example. So once you see tent caterpillars, the best thing is spray with something called Bt. Bt is a, believe it or not, a bacteria, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, following the instructions, very effective at killing tent caterpillar larvae, and they can be a really, really big problem. So keep an eye out for the caterpillars. No problem using Tanglefoot if you want to. It'll certainly control lots of things like ants and other crawling um, caterpillars that you may want to keep off your tree. So go ahead and use it if you wish, but really a spray is the most effective way to control tent caterpillars. Okay. Uh, gee whiz, look at that. Oh, the time is gone. Wow. How did Un- that happen? Unbelievable. We got the guys from Dave's Corner Garage lining up to start the oh, engines. Cool. Uh, happy uh, Valentine's Day to you, Charlie. Thank you, Frankie. Missed your smiling face, but loved your socks. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thank you. Sounds like a song title. I love your smile. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, that will give me something that. to work on. <laughs> oh, hey, been been a ton of fun uh, working with you once again, Charlie, and thank yeah, you to all the callers. Your, you're a great sous chef, right? Couldn't do it without you. <laughs> also, couldn't, couldn't do it without Carlos. So thanks a bunch to Carlos for his help. All our great emails. Keep them coming. Great calls. Keep them coming. Love the questions. Lots of fun. Happy Valentine's Day all around. And don't forget to get out there and count some birds. (laughs) See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.